The Beatles are a pretty nice band, and we've got a lot to say. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfit a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah. Someday we'll judge if they're fine. Revolution 1, a.k.a. Revolution Take 2, a.k.a. Take 1, a.k.a. OG Revolution, a.k.a. Revolution 1. Got it? Good. So this is the much lesser of the two revolutions. Paul and George were right that the song had to go faster. There's so much ambivalence here, it makes my head spin. It's, mm. not, it's not just that John Ayer sings you can't count them out, but also count them in. It's that there's brass instrumentation with electric guitars and doo-wop backing vocals. It's, it's a goddamn mess. I mean, as we've said in few episodes this week it's like the 50s influences are strong with this one uh yeah i am not sure what he was thinking with this one at all from a musical and tempo standpoint yeah paul and george 100 percent correct uh everyone was right like mate let's make it a rocker here uh and this is just far too gentle Mm -hmm. and and as we said for the first time when we covered the lyrics it's still so confusing. <laughs> it's been a while since that happened. I mean, the White Album is, you know, has been taking us over a month here, and and I still have no more context for these lyrics and don't understand them. Yeah, it's, you know, it's on disc three or disc two. You know, buried side, a little bit. Side three, side four, side three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, tr- I don't remember, uh, everything we talked about when we talked about the songs, uh, the B-side of a Jude version. Um, uh, so hopefully I don't leave anything out. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, Paul and George told him that he wanted John wanted to be a single and Paul and George were like, it has to be faster. And John thought they were just jealous of whatever. Uh, how good it was how good it was or whatever so the Beatles began began recording Revolution 1 then simply titled Revolution obviously on May 30th 1968 more than three months after their previous recording session at Abbey Road the final attempt Take 18 was substantially longer than other attempts it lasted 10 minutes and 17 seconds and formed the basis of the album version Despite, despite Lennon's shout at the 7.31 mark, okay, I've had enough, the final six minutes descended into a mostly discorded instrumental jam. It included feedback, Lennon repeatedly screaming, all right, and moaning from Lennon and Yoko Ono. This later formed the basis of Revolution 9 with the addition of a number of tape loops and sound effects. Take 18 was released in full in 2018 on the Super Deluxe 50th Anniversary reissue of the White Album. Jeff Embrick, unfortunately for him, was present. Oh, boy. With George, Paul, and Ringo involved in the ongoing Jackie Lomax sessions, only John, and of course Yoko, was present for the brass overdub and mix of Revolution 1, which in itself was unusual because ever since the Pepper days, all four Beatles normally attended even mixing sessions. There were two quirks that characterized that mix. 
One was an accidental bad edit in the last chorus, which Lennon insisted I leave in. It added an extra beat, and he always loved weird time signatures, so it was deemed a creative accident, and it became part of the song. The other oddity about the final mix was that it featured my recording debut. That's my voice hurriedly saying, Take two, just before the song begins. Because I always hated hearing my voice on tape, I had gotten in the habit of mumbling the slate as quickly as possible. John used it to take the piss out of the way I rushed my announcements, so he left it in at the beginning of the song. It was done just to kneely, but at least it gave me the distinction of being one of only a few privileged outsiders who appear on a Beatles record. Well? Thanks, John, you asshole. Basically what he said. <laughs> hey, man, you wrote a whole book about the Beatles here. <laughs> or didn't. Apparently, wow! No, no, he he had a ghostwriter, but the writer was credited in the on the front cover. But the whole thing, like he made of, he asked a bunch of people, uh, yeah, for what, stories. What do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Recording continued on May thirty first, nineteen sixty eight, with two separate vocals by Lennon and bass by Paul McCartney. George Harrison and McCartney also recorded backing vocals. Lennon re-recorded his vocals on June 4th while lying on the floor of Abbey Road Studio 3 in an attempt to make his vocals sound different. A number of other recordings were made for Revolution 1 on this day. McCartney and Harrison Tate's more wacky vocals singing Mama Dada Mama Dada repeatedly towards the end of the still lengthy recording. Ringo also recorded more drums and percussion. Lennon added a guitar part played through a volume pedal and McCarty taped an organ part. Two unused tape loops were also made. All four Beatles singing a high-pitched ah! and what Mark Lewison describes as a rather manic guitar phrase played high up the fretboard. An 11-minute rough mix of Revolution 1 leaked online in February 2009. The mix, numbered RM1, reveals how the song evolved into Revolution 9 with the extended jamming and various tape loops and begins with John Lennon announcing Take your niggas off and let's go. Revolution 1 of its final title in place was completed on June 21st, 1968. Two trumpets and four trombones were recorded, and George Harrison overdug a lead guitar part. Uh, and there's a stuff about how John Lennon exchanged open letters with John Hoyland, a student radical from Keele University in the pages of Black Dwarf. I recommend you read it. There's too much to get into here. Uh, Lennon was stung by the criticism he received from the New Left. Having campaigned for world peace with Ono throughout 1969, he began to embrace radical politics after undergoing primal therapy in 1970. In a conversation with British activist Tariq Ali in January 1971, he said of revolution, I made a mistake, you know. The mistake was that it was anti-revolution. Lennon then wrote power to the people to atone for the perceived apathy of revolution and instead saying, you say you want a revolution, we better get it on right away. That is quite a change. Uh, yeah. Three years later. After moving to New York in 71, he and Ono fully embraced radical politics with Chicago 7 defendants Jerry Rubin and Abby Hoffman. Lennon abandoned the cause following Richard Nixon's victory in the 1972 presidential election, and he subsequently denounced revolutionaries and radical politics as useless, and he drank all of the alcohol of Los Angeles. In the final interview he gave before his murder in December 1980, Leonard reaffirmed the pacifist message of revolution, saying he still wished to see the plan for any proposed revolution. 
With reference to Lennon's comments in this interview, Ian McDonald wrote in 1994, Tiananmen Square, the anonymous collapse of Soviet communism, and the fact that most of his radical persecutors of 1968 to 70 now work at advertising, have belatedly served to confirm his original instincts. In 1987, Revolution became the first Beatles recording to be licensed for use in a television commercial. Nike paid $500,000 for the right to use the song for one year, split between recording owner Capital EMI and song publisher ATV Music Publishing, owned by Michael Jackson. Commercials using the song started airing in March 1987. The three surviving Beatles through Apple Court filed a lawsuit in July objecting to Nike's use of the song. The suit was aimed at Nike, its advertising agency, Weed and Plus Kennedy, or Weed and Kennedy, at Capital EMI Records. Capital EMI said the lawsuit was groundless because they had licensed the use of Revolution with the active support and encouragement of Yoko Ono Lennon, a shareholder and director of Apple. Ono had expressed approval when the ad was released, saying it was making John's music accessible to a new generation. Fans were outraged at Nike's appropriation of the song and incensed at Michael Jackson and Yoko Ono for allowing the Beatles' work to be commercially exploited in this way. Ono said that McCarty had agreed to the deal, a claim that McCarty denied. Harrison commented in an interview for Musician Magazine, Well, from our point of view, if it's allowed to happen, every Beatles song ever recorded is going to be advertising women's underwear and sausages. We've got to put a stop to it in order to set a precedent. Otherwise, it's going to be a free-for-all. It's one thing when you're dead, but we're still around. They don't have any respect for the fact that we wrote and recorded these songs, and it was our lives. The Revolution lawsuit and others involving the Beatles and EMI were settled out of court in November 1989, but the terms kept secret. The financial website, thestreet.com, included a Nike Revolution advertisement campaign and its list of 100 key business events of the 20th century as it helped commodify commodify dissent. So the commercial's on YouTube and it's like nothing. Nike wasted $500,000, I think, uh, and whatever their legal fees were. Like, it's nothing. Right. But four years later, they had an instant karma commercial, which I remember, and that one kicks ass. And they didn't have to deal with the Beatles because that was a John solo song. Right, so Yoko is happily, you know, happy to license that one. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, more recently... Like I don't. I mean, do you care about bands having songs and commercials? So, because I don't. You don't. But it used to be. It used uh, to be a bigger deal. It used to be a huge no-no. Now. And then what changed? I think it, it changed in like two thousand four, two thousand five, when bands were like, "We're not making money because of music piracy." So then right. it's like, well, if you can only make money through commercials, then it's okay. Like I remember. James Mercer, The Shins, was like, uh, he, they licensed one of their songs for McDonald's, and he's like, oh, I was able to buy a house with that. And nobody right. cared. It's like, oh, cool. You know? But before that, it was like, you know, how dare yeah, you? You're selling out. Yeah. You sell out. Mm. Yeah, because I remember, was it like 2006 or, no, seven. Anyway, Wilco, like, there was a big uproar about Wilco licensing songs to Volkswagen. And mm-hmm. it's like, hey, guys, who, who cares? So you never cared? I don't think, I mean, I don't think I really ever cared. I think, I didn't fight in those wars, man. 
that wasn't my I, I, it just you speaking out. of like I guess so I, I, the thing I remember about Beatles music as a commercial is help uh, for a Google commercial yeah <laughs> that and, and, um, and uh, Airbnb is, has a yellow submarine in it oh yeah they, they do I remember that yeah yeah <laughs> you know hey well, man the Beatles are for sale it's 2023 that's a good album title they should use it yeah. I wish it was a better album Time, oh. times have changed oh uh, you know that I've heard I've heard that that's a song too mm-hmm. the times they are changing the English pop band Thompson Twins recorded Revolution for their 1985 album Heroes to Future Here's to Future Days which was co-produced by Niall Rogers on July 13th in advance of the album's release the band performed a song with Rogers Madonna and guitarist Steve Stevens at the concert held at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia that formed the U.S. part of Live Aid. In October, two, you know, some people believe that if the John survived, the Beatles would have reunited at Rite Aid. At Rite Aid. Live Aid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what Rite Aid commercial would have a Beatles? It's only part of a Walgreens band. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, with John's association with New York, I would think it would be a Dwayne Reed commercial. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. You know why it's called Dwayne Reed? Because it's on Dwayne and Reed Street. Yeah, the first store. Open. Yeah. Okay. But some because we are. This is a New York podcast. Yeah. Hey, hey. get up? your Beatles here. <laughs> the freaking Beatles. <laughs> freaking Beatles over here. So yeah, do you think they would have reunited uh, at Live Aid? I think. I think so. I think eventually. Yeah. I've been thinking for years and my wife and I were talking about it recently that we're like still surprised that like, like, like Sean Lennon or, and, uh, Danny Harrison haven't like joined Paul right. and Ringo and cast characters to, you know, put on the, put on the good show there. Who knows? Uh, stranger things. I'm ticking. Tick tock. In October 2001, the rock band Stone Temple Pilots performed Revolution Live during Come Together, a night for John Lennon's words and music, a television special in tribute to Lennon that raised funds for victims of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center. Love counts. There are two mentions of love in Revolution 1. Josie Scale, is this song better than Your Love by the Outfield? Uh, unlike the rockin' version that uh, created the Buzzcocks. I'm going to give this a Josie. Perfect week. Denied. I'm going to agree with you. I like this less than re- the, uh, the first revolution. It's a Josie. But you know what? At least you and I had a perfect week together. We just agreed. Such all, a all week. perfect week. I'm glad I parted with you. you. (laughs) Now let's not keep the audience hanging on and we'll end the episode. (laughs) The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot. So are these songs better than your love? 
The Beatles are a pretty nice band Someday we'll judge if they're fine Oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine